good morning to each one of you and greetings in Jesus' name. And um, by the way, I think as Christian people, we should have, uh, like our brother shares, a high old time all the time. Because we have something to rejoice about. We have something to be happy about. We have a joy in our being from knowing Jesus Christ that should shine not only to the world, but to those around us that we live it with. And I understand, absolutely, we have our downtime. We have our time where we need to share our hearts, and, and, uh, and it's not all smiles and a bed of roses. But people, we have something to rejoice. And that is a shared faith in a sovereign God, in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. What more should we rejoice about and share with others? Uh, yeah. So, I, I really enjoy, um, and I was sharing with some of the men last night, I would much rather stand around in a group or one-on-one and punch in the shoulder and exchange some pleasantries, some fun, some jokes, and things like that, and stand up here and preach. However, I recognize that I am called to share the gospel through an ordination, through the voice of the church, and I want to be the best job that I possibly can, and yet I recognize that I am a needed creature. And so, I share that with you, <coughs> coveting your prayers, as I share this morning. And again, not that I have everything under my belt, because I am like the Apostle Paul. Not that I have already attained, but I've pressed toward the mark, and I hope that's where you are today as well. I mean, if you have, feel like that you are already there, uh, I fear for you, and it scares me that you feel that way, because we are not there yet. But one day, when Jesus comes again, what we have done and said is going to appear before us to a holy God. And what we have heard and been taught, what we have practiced or not practiced in our Christian lives, as God has spoken to our hearts, now, that may come before us as well. But I shared with our brother and sister this morning, I am so completely grateful for God's grace in my life. Had not God not reached down and saved me when I was 17 years old, uh, I fear where my life would be today. And it would not be in a group of believers here. I don't think. But I thank God for doing so. I want to invite you again to Genesis chapter 2. This is uh, a little bit of a continuation of the thought of Yesterday, the God, God's design for the family. But I'm going to be speaking a little more to the ladies today. I spoke a little bit to them yesterday, last evening, more so to the men. But I want to focus just a little bit more on the ladies. But again, some of this is for us as men. Okay, so let's take that um, as a bit of salt. In Genesis chapter 2, we read the other, last night about Adam naming all the cattle. I'm going to start in Genesis chapter 2, verse 20. 
one gave names to all the cattle and to the fowl deer and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found and help me for him. Okay? So we're looking at that help me. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh there instead. Let me do that again. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. And you remember I talked about that pink and blue modeling clay. Molded, welded, mashed together, messed together, inseparable. This word help me means an aid, a helper. It comes from another root, the root word, azer, which is a primitive word which means to surround, to protect, to help, to aid, to suffer. And this word suffer means assistance and support in times of hardship and distress. I want us to remember that. The word suffer means assistance and support in times of hardship and distress. It means to give assistance to, to aid. And I think that every woman desires to, as, as they are become one flesh, they desire to give aid. We were sharing this morning. Is it okay, ladies, to What's the thought? Is that okay? You know, I don't see my hair. Except if I walk up to the mirror and make a specific point to look at it. And so in the morning, if I've got a rooster, and, you know, I don't really see it. And it doesn't really bother me. But, uh, you know, when we get ready to go away, my wife likes me to look nice, and I know that's a job in itself. But there are times she's like, she's been like, I need her. Some of those encouragements aren't always the most pleasant, and I say that you know that's just a really small encouragement. And yet, I need her because she is helpful to me. And I would imagine that you, as a man, have been helpful to your spouse in some areas of life. I'm hoping. I'm hoping. In Genesis 2:24, one flesh flesh means by extension of the body, a person, can. Okay, I want to go to Genesis chapter 3. And we look, we are looking here at the deception and the forbidden act here. 
in Genesis chapter 3, it says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. So there was a conversation going on here. The serpent and the woman. And he asked her a question. And she responded, Oh, wait a minute. He did say, But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Now, as we look back at the command that God gave Adam, did, Adam, did he tell Adam not to touch that tree or that fruit? I don't think he did. I think he said, you may not partake of the fruit. And you can check me up on that. I'm, I'm okay with that. You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as God, knowing good and evil. Now, I want you to think about what Satan told her. Did he tell her the truth? I'm anxious for your input. Are you brave enough? Did he tell her the truth? Well, think with me. God does know in the day that you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened. That happened, right? Their eyes were opened, right? Okay. And you shall be as God. And they were somewhat as God because they knew good and evil when they partook of that fruit. And you shall be as God, knowing good and evil. And, the women, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Now I want you to picture in your mind this beautiful garden, lush grass, beautiful trees, fruit on those trees, and I don't know what kind of fruit it was. I tend to think maybe it was something like an apple, but I don't know that. And I can see them walking through the garden, looking at these beautiful trees, and I'm sure that they knew which tree was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There's absolutely no question in my mind. And for each one of us today, we don't necessarily have that tree, but we know what is that forbidden fruit. Every one of us knows through God's Word, through our conscience, through the Holy Spirit's leading, we know what is forbidden fruit. And yet sometimes we go really close to that forbidden fruit. And we see in this picture Eve. She went and saw the tree. She saw that it was good for something. And she saw that it was good for more than just one thing. She saw that it was 
good for food, you could eat it. He saw that it was pleasant to the eye. It was good to look at. And she saw that it, that it, a tree to be desired to make one wise. And she saw it as something that could help her and her knowledge. And so, I can see her slowly walking towards that tree. And I can see her slowly gazing at that tree. And then I can see her reaching up. And I don't think that she ran up there and grabbed one of those fruits. I think she slowly eased that direction. I think she slowly reached up. And I don't think that she grabbed that fruit. I think she touched that And so on. And then she partook of that fruit. And again, I'm using my imagination just a bit. And yet, each one of us in our humanity, we don't just go dive into sin. But it is a subtle drawing of our eyes, of our mind, of whatever that we think that can be pleasant to us. I do have a question. Why didn't Satan say, hey, Adam, come here. I want to talk to you, Adam. Why didn't he tempt the man? He knew that God's creation, and, and ladies, bear with me, please. Um, I'm trying to share with you what I see in God's Word, so please bear with me. I think Satan knew God's creation, and that women would be more susceptible to some of these. Things that may draw us away. And I want to read from the New Testament. It says in 1 Peter 3, verse 7, Likewise, you husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers be not hindered. This weaker vessel is referring to the physical makeup of a woman. It refers to her moral and spiritual knowledge and power. This word, weaker, comes from the base word to be strengthless in various applications. To be more feeble, without strength, weak, or weak in spiritual knowledge. And again, please bear with me as I share, because I'm not in any way demeaning the female gender at all. I just want to share with you the perspective that I see from God's Word. We see someone that was susceptible. And I know this is, may sound be kind of humorous to you, and maybe not. And I don't want to 
belittle the Word of God. And so I share this. Just when I look at Adam and Eve, and I look at that temptation, when I look at that what Satan said to her, I see the first Norwex home. I hope you understand where I'm at. The first Tupperware party. The first Longaburger party. The first Lemongrass party. Because Satan was appealing to her being. Her care. Her, her, I don't know how to say it. Women strive to do things for the well-being of themselves and their families. In Proverbs 31, it says, She looketh well to the ways of her household. Why does she do that? Because she cares about that household. But a woman's care does not come from logic. It comes from a heart. It comes from a mind of grace and reaching out. And so Satan saw this in God's creation as a chink in the armor. <clears throat> Women are gatherers, providers, caregivers, planners, teachers. They want to help. They want to surround. They want to protect or aid. They want to give assistance and support in times of hardship and distress. But why was Eve making the decision here in the garden? I want you to think about that. Why was Eve the one making the decision? Didn't she understand God's command through Adam that they were to partake of all of the trees except for one? And that one tree they were not supposed to eat from. Another question I have is, why didn't she, when she was talking with Satan at that tree, and he said, are you sure God said this? This is what's going to happen. Why didn't she say, hang on, I need to go talk to my husband. I need to go talk to Adam, because Adam told me this, and you're telling me that if I protected this, then all these other things are going to happen. Let me just check with Adam first. Satan appealed to her desire to help. And through that desire to help, through that desire, that temptation, and what she saw, she partook of that truth. And then it says, verse 7, And the eyes of them both were opened. And they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Think about that. They sewed fig leaves together to cover their nakedness. Now, we have a fig in our home, and it has really little leaves. And we went to visit some friends the other day, and they had a fig that had some pretty sizable leaves. And I don't know what kind of fig that was. 
But I just cannot imagine the effort that it would have taken for Eve and Adam to gather these leaves and sew them together and make coats or whatever they made, garments, to cover their nakedness. It would have taken a lot of effort to actually gather those leaves and to, you know, they didn't have a ball of yarn or a full of thread. I don't know how they would have sewed those things together, but it would have taken a lot of effort to do that. And I want you to think about this. When we sin, we often try to cover it up with something. And it takes a lot of effort to cover our sin. And so, we look at Adam and Eve, and they went to great lengths to sew these fig leaves together to cover their nakedness. But we are no different. We are made of the same dirt that God got His hands dirty in to form Adam and Eve. We are made of that same clay. We have those same emotions, those same thoughts, those same temptations. And if we think that we could have done better than Adam and Eve in that garden with God's one command, And then we look at the consequences of that sin. In verse 14 of chapter 3, it says, The Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed. And above all cattle, and above every beast of the field, upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. For the woman, verse 13, I'm sorry, verse 16, Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception, and in sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. This word desire means a sense of stretching out after. It means a longing for. And from the the, the primitive root of Hebrew, it means to run after or over, to overflow. And I want you to remember that, ladies, just a little bit. Men as well. I want you to remember that. It means a stretching out after, a longing, a desire, to run after or to overflow. And because of disobedience and sin, women, and I say this carefully, Women have a desire maybe to control, to run after or over their husbands. And that's, this is not an excuse, it's not a legitimate reason, but it's just like the man needs to take his rightful place as the godly leader that I spoke of last evening. And his, this desire of the woman needs to be tempered with the Word of God because women, ladies, we need you in our lives as men. We need you to be that support system, that cheerleader, that encourager, that helper, that aid. We need that in our lives. But we don't need someone to overflow or overwhelm and to control because that's not God's plan or God's design for the family. For women to be a helper, it is marvelous and beautiful. 
and it's designed by God, but we can see in this world that we live in today what has happened when men and women do not follow God's Word. And when we do not allow the work of the Spirit in our lives. And when men lay down their roles, ladies pick up the flag. And we talked about that just a little bit last night. That helped me to surround, to support, protect, aid, to the assistance and support in times of hardship and distress. When men lay down their responsibilities and women have to pick up the pieces, the church, the citizens, the family, the church, and then society crumbles. If we look at overall spirituality of the church, as we look at the decline of the family and men and women not taking their rightful role, has have the families become more spiritual, more godly? Has the church become more spiritual, more godly? Has our nation, following God's headship order, become better and better? In some things, science, some things, God, work, probably, yes. But in overall, we see this nation and the world declining because of not following God's design, specifically for the family. Because if we would have strong family units, we would have strong churches. And if we have strong churches, then we would have strong communities. And if we would have strong communities, we would have strong states. And then if we would have strong states, we would have strong nations. And the world would be changed because of what Jesus Christ has done for you personally, but then for the world collectively. But we see a real decline in this world because of men not taking their rightful place, because of women stepping up and stepping out of that proper role. As women disregard their rightful place, as it helped me, they often tend to lose their obedience to the truth of God's Word. And again, that is not always a lady's problem. That is typically a man's problem. When women don't take their rightful place, they fail to, to submit to their authority, their fathers, their husbands, their teachers, their ministers, and maybe even state, local and state. They tend to lay aside modesty and then fail to teach it in the generations that come after. They fail to wear their symbol of authority. Or it starts to shrink. They have a tendency to lose morals and they tend to become more vocal in and proactive in a cause of their choosing. Y'all know who Rosie the Riveter is? 
How many of y'all know who Rosie the Riveter is? I see some young people. <laughs> hey, somebody tell me who Rosie the Riveter is. World War II, okay. Tell me more about it. Exactly. And it's a picture of a woman dressed in work clothes with her sleeves rolled up and a bandana around her head. And I think she's holding a rivet machine. I'm not a rivet, uh, rivet tool. I think that's what she's holding. I have a picture in my notebook. And it is, she's still in the job. Men had to go away for war. And so there was a vacancy in the workforce. And Rosie the Riveter was a way to recruit women to leave the home and go into the workforce to support the war machine. Has that been good for the family? Yes. Has it been good for the family? No. Has it been good for the church? No. Has it been good for the world, for, for the nation and the world? No. It has not. I shared last evening that my father was an alcoholic. Okay, so if we recognize that we have a problem with Men taking their rightful role, women taking their rightful role. How do we fix it? How do we fix it? In Alcoholics Anonymous, my dad went for some treatment um, when I was a upper teen. And when he went for this treatment, They had these sessions that they would sit together. And one of the first things that they would do was in those sessions was they had to go around the circle. And each one of the men needed to say, I'm an alcoholic. I'm an alcoholic. Why did they have to say that? Because they had to get to the point where they admitted that they had a problem. And once there is an, admit, a, a, an admission of a problem, then there can be steps in recovery. It's a first step in recovery to admit that I've got an issue here that I need to deal with personally. And so what is it for me, for you, for anybody else? we got to admit that we've got a problem. We have to confess our sins. And if we are not taking our proper role as leadership, we need to admit we've got a problem. And as I view churches, communities, families, we've got a problem. And I'm not saying that I'm immune from that. Please don't get me wrong. But we need to recognize. And then we need to do something about it. Can we continue to follow a decline and expect to be blessed of God, to accept, to, to see our families prosper spiritually, to see our children go into service, to find them 
faithfully following God, if we are not following God in His headship order, people's not going to happen. We have to live it out first. And I say that to myself because I have failed. But one of the things that we have tried to practice is when we mess up, we set up. It's very simple. And we taught our children from little up. When they did something wrong, when they did something against their brother or sister, you have to go make that right. You have to go tell them that you are sorry. But one of the things that I really stress with them, words are cheap. Don't say it until you mean it. Or when you say it, make sure that you mean it. And you know, for me, sometimes I'm smitten and I say, oh, I'm sorry. But you know, sometimes it takes a little time for me to get there. Sometimes it takes me half an hour. Sometimes it takes me a little bit more time than that. Sometimes it takes a couple of days until I can actually get there. But one thing we need to recognize is when we mess up, we better fess up. And that is part of the healing process. That is part of the fixing the problem process. Admit we got a problem and then move forward from there. We need to get to the root of the problem. Sin entered through Adam and Eve, and humanity, the home and church, is reaping the consequences. Romans 5, verse 19 says, For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Are you righteous in Jesus Christ today because of His saving grace in your life? Thank God I am. Is it that I have attained? No. But man, I am pressing towards the mark, and I want you to press toward it with me. That is my encouragement to you. For the man, the curse came. And says unto Adam, he said, and this is verse 17, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat of the herb of the field. And in the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread. Till thou return to the ground, for out of it was thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. So, unto dust shalt thou return. People, we are not some high and mighty. We are created out of dirt. And as we stand before a holy God, we're not much better than that. But as we stand before a holy God with Jesus Christ in our stead, we are made righteous. We are made heirs because of His shed blood. In these verses, He said, God was telling Adam, because you listened to your wife and disobeyed me, God, you're going to struggle to make a living. You're going to deal with thorns and thistles. You're going to have to earn the bread by the sweat of your brow. You're going to have to be a leader to deal with your, with your wife's desire to run over or after you. And then in the New Testament, God, through the inspired writings, 
said in Colossians 3, Husbands, love your wives. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Again, in Ephesians, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. I read these verses last evening. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word. Think what that says right there, man. Think what it says right there. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the Word. The Word of God. It washes. It cleanses. But if we don't read it, if we don't practice it, if we don't live it, then what is it going to do for our wives and our children, the church, the community, our nation, and the world? It says that he might present it to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loves his wife loves himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh. Men, are we doing that? Ladies, are you doing what God is asking you to do? Following God does not lessen your standing in in the home, in your marriage relationship. Being in subjection and following God's design does not weaken your position. It strengthens it because God is behind it. And when God says it, and we do it, we have power through His Word, through His Spirit, through His command. And we can be a light that shines out in this dark world. You have the blessing of God in your life. So, ladies, if your husband is not taking his proper place in leadership in the home, your, your job is not to step up and to do all his jobs for him. But what does it say? It says in 1 Peter, and I want you to turn there with me if you will. 1 Peter chapter 3. Let's do it God's way. And I say this to myself. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they may also, they also may without the word be won by the conversation or the lifestyle of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation or lifestyle coupled with fear. Whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning of the plaiting of the hair and the wearing of gold, or the putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart, that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great Christ. For after this manner, in the old time, the holy women also, who trusted in God, adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, 
calling you Lord, whose daughters we are, as long as we do well and are not afraid with any amazement. I look at Abraham and Sarah and the story of Hagar and how Sarah brought him, brought her to him to give her to him as a wife so that they could have children. And I see Nebulon. I don't know if you see that. Do you see that? Nebulon. And then it says in the New Testament that even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughter he are. Apparently, sometime or another, Sarah recognized her favor. And it might have been when that son of Thomas was given. I don't know. But apparently, something changed along the life of Sarah. And I'm hoping for me that as I recognize areas in my life, there can be a change. And I'm hoping for you, as you recognize areas in life, whether it's marriage, whether it's following God, whether it's you know, obedience to parents, I don't know, whatever it is, that we can say, I'm an or I failed here, or you know, I need to make this right. God's desire is not for demeaning of men or women. It's for the building of His kingdom. It's for a powerful witness in Jesus Christ. It is to encourage. It is to pass on a vibrant, burning faith to those that follow after us, namely our children first. And when we can pass on that vibrant faith, it's for the future of God. It's for the building of His kingdom. It's for the saving of souls. But our lives should be for the glory of God.